Let's pray together as we begin. Oh God, as Julie just sang, You are the salvation of our hearts. You are the salvation of our lives. You are everything. And with music, we, we seek to express it with, with faulting words. We try. Please know that out of gratitude to Jesus for the gift on Calvary, we will follow wherever He leads. We will do whatever He commands. Open our minds one last time in this semester series. Open our minds. Let us hear and know Your teaching. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What I want to share with you this morning, I realize is going to come across as sounding a bit audacious and presumptuous. But I need to share it. I am deeply burdened by what we're going to share in just a few moments. If you are young and you are here today and listening now, and that's the presumptuous part, I believe you are here under divine appointment. It is no accident that you are here today. God has a message for you. And He has asked me to bring this message to you. And that's the audacious part. God is calling you. I don't care what career you're preparing for. I don't care what academic discipline you're in the throes of. God is calling you. If you're young, God is calling you to become a third millennial defender of a very ancient truth. Look, if a bull can talk, and in just a moment I'm going to share with you a story that is almost unbelievable of a talking bull. You know a bull. You know the, the animal. If a bull can talk, so can you. You can too. Now those of us who are not as young as the young who are here today, I believe this message from God is for us too. However, I am especially burdened today for the young, right on up into your 30s. Open your Bible, please, to a book you've never been to in church, perhaps. I don't know that you and I have ever been to this book. Maybe tangentially we've, we've pulled a line out of it here or there. It's the next to the last book in the Bible. Go to the book of Jude. Book of Jude, just before the mighty apocalypse. I want to share a single line from the book of Jude. Say, listen, Dwight, I didn't bring a Bible today. We have one in the pew rack right in front of you. Take that Bible out. It happens to be the same translation that I will be in this morning, the New King James Version. Go to the book of Jude, next to the last. Just look, at it. it doesn't even have a chapter to it. It's so short, only 25 verses long. Book of Jude. I want to share one line. Jude 3. All right? You just say Jude 3. Verse 3. Jude. Get it right here. All right. Jude 3. I want to read this with you. 
Whatever translation you have, follow along. Those of you watching on TV, we'll put the NKJV on the screen. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you. Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Who is this I? This I is Jude. There are only six Judes in the New Testament. We can eliminate four of them right off the bat, which leaves two. It might be Thaddeus, the disciple that Jesus called. He was also known as Jude. But in a moment in this tiny little epistle, Jude will say, I am not. He will essentially say, I'm not a part of the apostles. So he couldn't be Thaddeus. That leaves only one other Jude. And that's the Jude who is the brother of James. And both Jude and James are half brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who wrote this. A half brother to Jesus. Different fathers, you understand. Jude. I'm writing you a letter, Jude says. And while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary. Hold it, he said. I wanted, I wanted to talk about salvation. I wanted to deal with issues of faith and grace and righteousness through Jesus Christ. I wanted to write to you about salvation, but suddenly I realized I can't just deal with salvation. I have to, I have to write to you about a matter that is a burden on my heart right now. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, here it comes, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I wanted to write to you to contend earnestly. It takes two English words to cover the one Greek word, agonizomai. Agonizomai. Agonize. That's from whence comes our word agonize. What is agonize? It means to struggle. It means to fight. When you agonize over something, you are wrestling. James says, uh, Jude rather says, I want you to contend earnestly. Agonize over the faith. By the way, this is just faith. This is just faith in Jesus as wonderful as that is. This isn't personal belief and trust in God. This is the faith, the corpus. The body of truth and teachings. I want you to agonize, fight, strive, defend the faith. In fact, I don't want a a moment to go by without us getting this down. Would you get this down right now in your brand new study guide? This is the last study guide we have in this teaching series that we've been in all semester long. Last time. It's in your bulletin. If you came today with a bulletin, someone handed you a bulletin, pull your study guide out. Orchestra, you have it because we make sure you, you got it. So please pull your study guides out right now. Those of you who came that didn't get a study guide when you walked in, just hold your hand up. Ushers, very quickly. Could you do this? Very quickly. Just hold your hand up. I see hands all the way to the back. Would you hold your hand up and we'll get a study guide to you. Where is the usher on this side of the uh, sanctuary? We need an usher right over here. Somebody grab a few of what Nobby has in his hands and just uh, come on over here and we'll... We'll hand some out on this side as well. I want everybody to have this. This is a very significant... Thank you, Ricky. This is a very significant teaching. Pull your study guide out now. And let's just... By the way, those of you who are watching on television right now, you can go to our website. Go to our website, www.tmchurch.org. Look for the repairs of the breach, part 7. Look for number seven. It'll take you three clicks. And on that website, pmchurch.org, that you're seeing on the screen now, you can get there from here. And you will find the study guide. And you can actually go through the study guide with us right now. Keep your hands up. The ushers are coming. But let's, feel, let, let's just pick it up. How, how far are we? Well, we've got a, a, a few lines into this already. You are being called today. Notice the top, top box. You are being called today to become a defender of the faith. Right in the word defender. If you're young, 
I believe you're being called today. Listen, hang in there with me. Don't, 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 don't tune this out quite yet. Just hold on for a moment. You're being called today to become a defender of the faith. Where's that found? Jude 3. Would you write in Jude? You got the three there, but would you write in Jude? Jude 3. Contend earnestly. That's from that Greek word. There it is. Agonizomai. Would you write in the words to agonize, to fight, to defend. Agon is Greek for stadium. You remember the stadiums? That's where they fought. They wrestled. They strove in the stadiums. And so the very word to agonize comes out of the sports metaphor where they fought for their lives. Okay, so just fill in to agonize, to fight, to defend. To fight for what? For the faith. What is the faith? Would you, would you jot it in? For the corpus or body of teachings and truth. Andrews University's Latin motto, mens corpus spiritus. What's corpus? Mind, body, spirit. The body of teachings and truth. Fight for the faith because God has called you to become a mighty defender of the faith. Now look, at ladies and gentlemen, I don't know which side of the war that is going on now you're praying for. I hope you're praying for both sides as, past, as our pastor this morning uh, very skillfully and I think pastorally indicated in his prayer, Pastor Skip. We, we aren't taking sides to pray for, are we? You're praying for both sides, but I tell you what is clear. You can put both sides here today, both armies, and they would to a man, to a general, to a woman, they would declare that they are defending. They are defending. I'm not, I'm not offending. I am defending. One side believes it is defending freedom and liberty. The other side believes it is defending homeland and security. But that's just the point. When you defend something, you are willing to fight and die for that something if you truly believe in that something. You defend it. And that's Jude's point as well. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Oh, I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in his message translation. Would you, uh, I left one blank there. Would you fill it in, please? Fight. There it is in your study guide. Fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and to cherish. Fight. Now look, Jude isn't talking about house to house and hand to hand conflict. He's dealing with mind to mind and heart to heart, person by person, defense of the faith. Fight. Contend for that ancient faith once and for all delivered to the community of faith. How ancient? Take a look at this. Would you jot this text down, please? Write in the uh, numbers. Jeremiah 6.16. It's an age old passionate appeal of God in Holy Scripture. Jeremiah 6.16. Let's put it on the screen. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, Ha! We will not walk in it. Now the New Living actually captures this, I think, a little more, uh, a, a little more freshly. Let, read it again, New Living. So now the Lord says, Stop right where you are. Look for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, oh no, that's not the road we want. Nobody wants anything old anymore. It's got to be new, new, new. God says, forget it. Beware the notion, ladies and gentlemen. Beware the notion that if it's old, it's outdated. Now Madison Avenue whose pied piping we all march to and dance to. Madison Avenue would have us to believe that our clothes are outmoded, our cars are outdated, and our hairstyles are outlandish. And, and, and some of you would fit in that one. 
So what does Madison Avenue say? Get out, get, come on, get rid of the old, change it, get a new do, come on, please. God says, wrong, wrong, wrong. I see Greg Constantine here. God says, you know what, my truth is like great art. The older it gets, the more precious and valuable it becomes. Don't you throw the old out. Oh, boy, the wisest man who ever lived. Proverbs. Would you write this in, please? Proverbs 22, verse 28. Jot that text down. Proverbs 22, 28. Take a look at this one. Do not remove, the wise king says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. There are some landmarks that need to stay in the ground for the rest of time. Don't touch that ancient landmark. Do not remove it. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And wouldn't you know it? In the very heart of this passage, this chapter that has been the source of our teaching all semester long, the passionate cry is right there in Isaiah 58. One last time. One last time. Let's go to Isaiah 58, shall we? Isaiah 58. Turn back to the Old Testament. We'll uh, go to... Back from Jude, back into Isaiah. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. One verse. Isaiah 58, verse 12. Take a look at this. Then those from among you shall build the old waste places. The New Revised Standard Version shall build the ancient ruins. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of streets to dwell in. God cries out, look, I'm, I'm going to raise up a new generation. I need a new generation. The old generation hasn't done it. I need a new generation, but I'm going to ask them to go back to the old. With a new generation, I'm going to restore the ancient streets. I'm going to rebuild the ancient foundation. I'm going to repair the ancient walls. And I will call this new generation, I will call them the repairers of the breach. Please write that in your study guide, would you? Isaiah 58, 12 is God's call to a new generation. A new generation. That's why I'm so... That's why I'm burdened this morning. We need, desperately need, a new generation to step into the breach today. In the Adventist church. In our community of faith. Here's uh, Isaiah 58. Here is God's call to a new generation to become the repairers. To become the repairers of the breach. What breach is God talking about? I was reading Glenn Walker's book the other night. And I came across this May 16, 1943. I don't like using any illustrations from the present war. I think it it just skews it. But this would be almost to the day, 60 years ago, May 16, 1943. They are flying at 60 feet above the ground. Now take a look at that ceiling. That's 75 feet up there. So 60 feet is lower than the ceiling. They are flying a squadron of RAF bombers. They're called dam busters. They're flying up 60 feet over the ground in the middle of the night, screaming up the Ruhr Valley, and they're headed to the Monet Dam. You know why? Because they know that that dam does not have to be blown to smithereens for it to collapse. They only need to drive one damn buster bomb straight through the center. Just one hole. 
And under the cover of darkness, their mission is completed and a hole is breached. It is broken open. And a billion gallons explodes into that valley and 1,300 people perish with that single bomb. The enemy knows that if you want to take a wall down, you don't have to, you don't have to blow the entire wall out of the water. All you need to do is pay, pick a spot on that wall, drive your bomb through that one spot, and where the breakage, where the breach comes, you can effectively neutralize that entire wall. God has given a wall to the human race. That wall is called His law. It's called the Ten Commandments. Is this what this repairing of the breach is about? God gives a huge clue right here. No wonder the enemy has sent his damn buster bomb straight for that wall. What? What's in the wall? You can't miss it with the juxtaposition of verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, Isaiah 58. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath... And from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then, God speaking, verse 14, you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. No question. The Sabbath. The seventh-day Sabbath. Would you put that in your study guide, please? The seventh-day Sabbath has been broken down in that protective wall in Isaiah 58. It's about God raising up a new generation that will step into that gap, into that breach, and repair what has been destroyed. So let me cut to the chase. God needs a new generation to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints the truth about the seventh-day Sabbath. Ladies and gentlemen, why? Oh, come on. Unfortunately, the old generation has forgotten the Sabbath. There are huge tracts of Christendom today that reject the Bible Sabbath in favor of Sunday worship introduced over a millennium and a half ago by the church that eventually became the Roman community. It's just been written off the map. It does not exist. But I'm not worried right now about that community and the huge tracts out there. I am concerned today Sadly enough, for the huge tracts of people within our own community of faith who have abandoned or at least forgotten the sanctity and holiness of the Creator's gift of the seventh-day Sabbath. These people, present company accepted, of course, for them, these people, the Sabbath celebration has been effectively reduced to the hour or two, maybe three, if they go to Sabbath school. I mean, that's what it is. Formal interaction with people of like-minded faith. Once church is over, that's what they call it, church. Once church is over, then it's boating and biking and motoring and sleeping and eating and listening and watching and reading and socializing and packing and traveling on vacation and dining out just like any other day of an ordinary week. You think about it. For these people, their seventh day has become three hours long. That's it. Three hours. That's it. Three little 
ours. Verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor Him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on thy high hills of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Listen, ancient Jews used to believe that if their community could keep the Sabbath perfectly for one 24-hour period, the Messiah would come. Is that what God's talking about here? It is not. All God asked for are 24 little hours of the seventh day of the week wherein He might enjoy some quiet, uninterrupted communion with the likes of you and me. The seventh-day Sabbath is all about celebrating a forever friendship with the Creator of the universe, our forever friend, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Which is why God longs for us to call it. Did you catch that? He says, call it a delight. I don't want you to sit at home and change counting the hours until sundown. He says, what's up with that? Nothing in that for me or you. Ah, 24 hours. Delight yourself in Christ so that He becomes the center. He becomes the heart of our activity and our Sabbath rest. Go ahead, get together with your friends. Come on, get together. Go out to Chickamauga Dam. Go wherever you wish. Go visit your neighbors. Minister to the poor and the needy as we've been focusing all this semester long. But please, would you mind keeping me me, do it with me. Do it for me. God says, remember me. You see, this little community of faith thinks we're supposed to remember the Sabbath. God says, you got the day down, but why don't you now start remembering the one who gave it to you? Remember me. Remember me. When I was a kid and went off to school for the first time, I went to a boarding academy in Singapore. Far Eastern Academy. You know, and I came just, just a little green, wet behind the ears, whippersnapper. And I used to love to hang around the big guys. I mean, that's always been, I think, boys tend to gravitate towards the older guys. And I'd hang around them and I'd kind of try to work my way, you know, into their circle, just be a part of whatever they're doing. You know what? It used to... It, I, I, there were times when those guys, in the middle of a conversation, they would just up, walk out of the room and not a word about me. Not a word. They knew I was there. They knew I was a part of that. Not a word. They just walked away. I want to tell you something. It hurts. It hurts when you're forgotten and you're rejected. It hurts. You know, they could have just said, hey, do I come? No, they just, goodbye to you. It hurts. God says, I have, I have given you a day. My day. I gave it to you at the end of the week so that you and I together might be drawn into a friendship that will last forever and ever. And I want to tell you something God says. It really hurts. It hurts when you go walking off and forget all about me. It hurts me right here. It hurts. It's supposed to be our day together. You know, I put it in stone. I wrote it with my own finger. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know what our problem is? You know what? 
What we need to do is we need to misspell the fourth commandment. Let's misspell it. Let me show you. Misspell it and you'll get what God really wants. Put it up on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day. Now misspell this next word. To keep it holy. Don't spell it H-O-L-Y. Spell it W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy. Come on. You and me together. We're whole. We'll spend a whole day together. You and me. Remember my Sabbath. To keep it holy. Of course, it's, you know, Jesus came along, the Lord of the Sabbath, and Jesus said, you know what, it's lawful to do good. God looks at us and he said, you know what, guys, you do not have a problem with doing good on the Sabbath. Your problem is you don't do God on the Sabbath. Why don't you do me once in a while? I am what this day is all about. Do me. Do me. Please. After all... What does he say? He says, this is my holy day. By the way, from whence comes our word holiday. Did you know that? Holiday comes from holy day. In fact, would you put that in your study guide, please? Think I have to turn it over? Yep. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for me? The, the Sabbath is God's holy day or holiday. I said, hey, 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 I got a holiday with you. You know that? I have a holiday every single week. You're off. You spend it with me. It's a holiday. I mean, everybody loves a holiday. There isn't a student alive who doesn't give his right, give his eye teeth for an extra holiday. God says, I got a holiday for you. It's for you. It's for me. The seventh day is our holiday. Which, by the way, is why verse 14 reads the way it does. Did you notice how verse 14 reads the opening line? Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Please note, ladies and gentlemen, it does not read, and then you shall delight yourself in the day. That's where we've gone off. That's where we've gone wrong. We've, we've tried to delight ourselves in the day. It's not the, you don't delight yourself in the day. It's in the, it's in the one who gave the day. Ah, the Sabbath is an invitation to delight in the giver more than the gift. Oh, look, when you give a gift to someone you love, it's springtime. So some of you are really thinking more and more about doing this. When you give the, when you give a gift to someone you love, what is it? You hope that she'll get all enamored agitated and all excited about that gift. No, no, no. What she wants is that when she gets the gift, she just, she just thinks all the more about you. And when, when, when Karen and I were, were going to, uh, to SMC, Southern Matrimonial College. They've changed the name now, I know. I know. But when we, when we were going there, and, we, and, and I fell in love with Karen down at uh, Southern, I used to shower her with gifts. I'd give her these little, these little 45s. You don't know what that is, but 45, it's round and black, and you put it on a record player. You don't know what that is either, but it has a needle on it. And <laughs> I used to give her these little 45s with our love songs on them. I would give her trinkets, euphemism for junk, but I gave it to her because I wanted her, I wanted her to kind of be drawn to me. You know, it, it, I would have been really hurt if she had just run off with that gift and become preoccupied. Wow, look at this gift, and had forgotten all about the giver. The point of a gift is to draw you to the giver. See? God cries out when it comes to the Sabbath. Would you write this down, please? When it comes to the Sabbath, you shall delight yourself in the giver more than the gift. It's a great gift. You don't die for a gift. You fall in love and die for a giver. It's the giver. It's a relationship. That's the truth. About the seventh day Sabbath. Now look, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just as guilty as the rest. 
Sometimes, you know, at, uh, at a Sabbath dinner table, wherever we're eating, I, I, I am appalled when I realize where that conversation just went under my tutelage. I'm embarrassed. I forgot all about the giver. There wasn't a giver in sight. And when you forget the giver, by the way, you soon forget the gift. So I forgot the gift. I mean, you know, when you're going on vacation, you're thinking, look, I can get there quicker if we have a nice leisurely journey on the Sabbath. Then we can have fun sooner. God, you love fun, don't you? See? Look at, look at, guys. God says, what is this? You're all agitated about the gift. It's not the gift, it's the giver. Do you understand? Delight yourself in me. You'll honor it. You'll know what to do. Nobody have to write a book to tell you. But this thought does occur to me, ladies and gentlemen. How can we possibly defend the gift of the seventh day to the world when we don't even remember the giver of the seventh day ourselves? Would you write that in, please? How come, you know, what, what do you think? Your repairs of the breach? We're supposed to defend the gift? No, we defend the giver. The giver had a reason for the gift. But defend the giver. Contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Oh, I've got to read this one more time with you. Then we'll get to that talking bull. Verse 13. God speaking, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor Him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now notice verse 12. Those from among you then... See? That's what God's waiting for. You're it! You're the new generation. Those from among you... It'll take somebody who can shift the paradigm. The old generation may not be able to do it anymore. A new generation that has less to lose and more to gain with roots not sunk so tightly into the sod of this planet that they hardly want to go home anymore. A new generation. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. A hundred years ago, these words were written. I think significant enough to have them on your study guide so you can keep them. I'll put them up on the screen for you too. In the time of the end, every divine institution is to be restored. The breach made in the law at the time the Sabbath was changed by man is to be repaired. The God's remnant people standing before the world as reformers. The Reformation still goes on. Don't let anybody tell you it ended with the reformers. There's a new generation of reformers that God is raising up. Standing before the world as reformers, they are to show that the law of God is the foundation of all enduring reform. And that the Sabbath of the fourth commandment is to stand as a memorial of creation, a constant reminder of the power of God. In clear, distinct lines, they are to present the necessity of obedience to all the precepts of the Decalogue. And then I love this, constrained by the love of Christ. Why would anybody become a defender of the faith? Because you love Jesus, that's why. Do you know what Jesus said to Pilate? Hours before he died, 
John 18, 37, Pilate says, hey, you're a king, aren't you, boy? You're a king? Pilate says, you said so. For this purpose I was born. And for this cause I came into the world to testify to the truth. God is raising up a new generation to be just like Jesus and testify to the truth. His half-brother Jude comes along quoting his Lord and Savior. Writes, contend earnestly for the faith. Once for all, not twice for all, not three times for all. This has been one truth from the very beginning of time. Once for all delivered to the saints. Wow. God needs you, my friend, my young friend in particular. God needs you to become a mighty defender of the faith. Repair the breach. Fix that wall. Preserve a civilization. Or at least those that want it. You say, oh, Dwight, I can't do that. <laughs> Defender of the faith? You think I can do that? I am too timid. I am too inclined to be politically correct. I never stick my neck out. I'm too shy. I am just not a defender of the faith. My friend, wrong, wrong, wrong. You know why you're a defender of the faith? Because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why. And when you follow Jesus, Jesus says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I Get this. I will not only give you the courage, I will give you the content for your defense. I'll give it to you. You don't believe me, do you? Take a look at this verse on the screen. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. Look at this. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about what to say in your defense. You're going to be a defender? Don't worry about it. For the Holy Spirit will teach you what needs to be said even as you're standing right there. In that instant, He'll give it to you. What a God! I not only will give you the courage, sister, but I will give you the content for your defense so that when you're standing around the water cooler in the place of your employment and the question comes up and they look at you in that instant, I will give you what to say when you're in the dormitory. And it, even in the dormitory, there will be opportunities to stand for your faith when you are faced by the scrutiny of everybody in that circle and they're watching you and you know that if you don't stand up you will be partner to what is about to take place I will give you the courage and the content for defending the faith at that moment I'll take care of you I'll take care of you I will take care of you lo I am with you always to the ends of the earth be a defender of the faith for me be a defender. God needs a new generation of defenders of the faith. You are not here by accident today. God knew that your heart was to be called today to put yourself on the line and become a defender of the faith of Jesus Christ. No matter what academic discipline you're in, I know one student here, God came to him just in the last few weeks and said, boy, I'm changing your plans. I know one student. You don't have to change your academic discipline necessarily. It doesn't matter the career that you have chosen. God is asking you to stand up and speak out. Look, if a bull, if a bull can talk, you can talk. Trust me. You can talk. I want to end with a story about the talking bull. I believe the story. I believe in its veracity. You know why? Why? Because I know the one who tells the story. 
He's a doctoral graduate of Andrews University, and that ought to be credentials enough. What do you say? Yep, he was here. He and his wife from New Zealand. They were on our board of elders. He went over. They flew. They left us just a few months ago. Flew over to become the dean of the School of Theology at Pacific Adventist University in Papua New Guinea. I'm talking about David and Carol Tasker. David recorded the interview that I'm about to share with you. The interview was shared with me by uh, one of my Japanese peers who's been a graduate student here, Tadashi Ino. He just left a few weeks ago to go back to the homeland and he sent me the story. And I want to share it with you now in closing. Here it is. It's, it's written in interview format. So I'm going to try to tell it, you know, once I get into this here. But Dr. David Tasker's conducting the interview and the man speaking is, is, is uh, Pastor Jim Manele from Papua New Guinea. All right? So, David says, let's, 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 let's hear about this story. Pastor Manelli says, the story comes from the Kwai Beta area. How do you spell it? So they spell it out. Coastal area? In a, no, no, no. Kwai Beta is inland. Kwai Beta, in fact, means big river. This is in Malaita. You, you know where Malaita is. This would be very near Malaita. It's near our hospital at, Toy, at Atoyfi. You heard of the hospital at Atoyfi? That's the same one. In the eastern part of Malaita. All right, enough of this. Now, now this particular village, for this story, this village is located on the side of the Kwaibaita River. And it was an SSEC village. That means it is a South Sea Evangelical Church village. You see, denominations go in, and oh, this will be, let's see, this will be a Methodist village, and this will be Baptist, and this will be an SSEC village. Now, as it turns out, the pastor of this village was also the paramount chief of the area. So he's the chief and the pastor. And you can understand, he's been a pastor now for 20 years, so he has the respect of all the tribespeople, all the villagers, the pastor. All right. Now, the, uh, the, the interviewee says that just a bit of background for you to understand why things happened the way they did. Every time our nurses and medical workers from the Atoyfi Adventist Hospital would go up to this area to provide medical help to those village people, the pastor, the chief, would get the people aside and say, listen, these people are coming. They're going to talk to you about the Bible. They're going to talk to you about the church. Don't listen to them about the Bible or the church. Just take their medicines. Do you understand? Take their medicines. Stay away from any discussion of the Bible or the church. So the people dutifully obeyed. They no, 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 just give us the medicines. So the people just kept bringing the medicines. But according to... The pastor who interviewed the chief, the chief began to feel guilty about this. You know, this isn't right. Why? I mean, I'm, I'm telling my people, I know what I don't want them to hear. I know the Bible teaching that I don't want them to come in contact with. And the, the, the chief, the pastor, chief, he begins to develop a guilty conscience. He's feeling bad about this. One day, here we go now, here comes the story. One Sabbath morning, he decided with his wife and child to visit his garden a little distance away from the village. To get there, you have to go through a cow padlock. I would say that's probably like a cow corral. All right, some, some fences are up. Corral. You have to go through the cow padlock. And there were some goats with the cows in the padlock. There were probably ten cows or so. So they had to go through this cow padlock to get to the other side where the garden is. And when they, when they came in through the fence, the cows saw them. And something strange happened. All the cows stood in a straight line. They just lined up, ten of them, and facing them. So they're coming across the corral. The cows are all right here. You know, just watching them. 
Well, the chief is so used to walking through these cows that they're going to part when he comes. But when he comes walking up to them, the cows are just like this. And they keep their eyes on the chief. Well, he realizes they're not going to part. Behind them is the gate. So I'm going to have to walk around them. So he walks to the left, and on the very end of the left of the row is a bull. According to the description here, a big, fat bull. So you get the, you get the picture. So the, the chief approaches the bull, but it didn't move. I'm reading now. Instead, instead, it suddenly spoke in the Kwaibaita language. And it said to the chief, Why did you come to the garden at this time? Don't you know that today is the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord? The chief, it says here, was shocked. Which is the the understatement of the whole interview. The chief is shocked and looked around to check if it was a mistake, where where's this voice coming from? The voice was coming from the bull, and as it was talking, get this, the mouth was moving when it spoke. What are you laughing at? You go to movies where Hollywood has the animals talking all the time. Yap, 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 yap. You've seen it before. Virtual reality can make it happen. This guy's looking, where is this voice coming from? And he looks back, and this cow's going, moving its lips while it's talking. Now listen on, listen on, listen on. The chief, his name is Timothy, was finally able to work it out that it was this bull talking to him. Nobody else, the wife and the child behind, also heard it. But even more surprising, the bull called his name. It said, Timothy. (laughs) Then it called again, Timothy, I am speaking to you. Timothy. I mean, can you imagine walking through Berrien Springs and a dog comes running up to you and that dog looks up to you and calls you by name? I mean, folks, we had, put yourself in the context. What would you do? You'd faint, you'd run, or you'd listen. And that's exactly what happened here. Timothy, I am speaking to you. Timothy was brought to attention. He stood there shaking because he had never seen an animal talking before. The wife and the child also heard the bull talking and the chief said, Ah, there must be a devil in you talking like that. And the bull responded saying, I am not the devil. I'm the voice of Jesus talking to you. Timothy gave the bull his full attention. Opened his ears. And he was now looking very, very curious. And the bull said, Today is the Sabbath of God. Don't you know that? God gave you six days to work. And the seventh is the Sabbath. Don't you know that? You have been a pastor, and yet you didn't know these things? How blind can you be? God gave you six days to work. The seventh day is the Sabbath. You must not work today in your garden. Go home and read Jeremiah 1.5. You know what Jeremiah 1.5 says? I called you before you were born. When you were still in your mother's womb, I had a plan for you. (laughs) Go home and read Jeremiah 1.5. 
And after you've read it, share it with your people and look for the SDA pastor whose name is Pastor Bata. And when you find the Adventist pastor, talk to him and he will further explain things to you and the bull stop talking. This man was really horrified and fell down and wept. I mean, come on, guys. If there was something secret in your life that you were struggling with and an animal came and identified what you're struggling with, I mean, what would you do? You're not laughing. You're not laughing now. Something is crazy here. So he weeps. He just cries. And he turns around to his wife and child and he says, Listen, we're not going to the garden today. Let's go back. And when he gets back to the village, he calls the whole village together. And he tells them the story. Sunday morning early. Four hours through the jungles there of the highlands of Papua New Guinea. He walks by foot. He comes to the Atoyfi Hospital. And he walks in and he says, I need to see Pastor Bata. And they say, how do you know about Pastor Bata? Well, I have been told that I must find him. They said, well, it just turns out he lives. And then they gave the name of the village. He went to that village. He's introduced to the pastor. The pastor sits down and he says, listen, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday and why I'm here today. He said to the pastor, I've already kept the Sabbath yesterday. The pastor says, let me study the Bible with you. They studied for three months. And the paramount chief and pastor, three months later, is baptized into this community of faith. And at his baptism, he made an appeal, a public confession. And he appealed to those who wanted to join him of his villagers to stand on one side and those who wished to remain as they were on the other side. The majority of the people joined him so later they put up a little church and I, the interviewee, was invited to dedicate the church. So I went and dedicated the church today. There is a very big church just outside the village. Not the chief's village. The building was funded and built by some Australians and that church is now the center of our work in that area. End of story. I know what you're saying. You're saying, do I don't believe in a talking bull? So? That's the whole point, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't want to work with a talking bull. He wants to work with a talking you. He can use a jackass as He did with Balaam. Or He can use a bull with a New Guinean chief. Jesus said, look, if you guys keep your mouth shut, these rocks are going to cry out. But you are His first choice. You talk. You stand up. He needs somebody where you're living, sir. He needs somebody where you're working, ma'am. He needs somebody where you're going to school. He needs somebody in a moment to stand up and to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. He needs you. You can talk. It's It's the hour to talk. We're living at the end of time. We're living at the end of time. Danicles' sword is dangling over the head of this civilization. The world must be warned. The faith must be defended. The wall must be repaired. And you're it. God is calling you to become a defender of the faith of Jesus Christ. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Will you be a defender of that faith? Will you? Will you? Please. You must become one. I don't care what your academic discipline is. You know, where you're going with your career, it doesn't matter to me. 
Jesus needs you to talk. He doesn't need a bull. He has you. Would you today, in the presence of Christ and the holy angels who witness this moment, would you today dedicate the rest of your life to becoming a defender of the faith for the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm speaking to the young right now. If you're young and you're willing to commit yourself for the rest of your life to a defense of the faith of Jesus Christ. I wish you'd come forward right now. I want to pray with you. I'm going to give you a little card. You'll take the card. Just keep the card. It'll be your reminder. I made a decision to earnestly contend for the faith once for all. God needs a new generation and by the grace of Jesus Christ, I will become a part of a generation that will repair the breach, restore the foundation, and rebuild the wall. If you are young, I wish you'd come forward if you're willing to make this commitment. It's not just coming forward because other young adults are coming forward. If you're in this orchestra and you want to make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to stand where you're seated right now. If you want to make that commitment, you're not here by accident today. God is calling the young. We need a new generation of pioneers, new pioneers, new reformers, new defenders of the faith. I'm telling you guys, I say this with all the sincerity that my heart can muster. You are the last great hope of this community of faith. The old have not done what was given to them. But we need a new generation. And you are it. You can do it. You say, Dwight, I can't, I can't. Luke 12, 11 and 12, just remember that. Memorize it. Jesus will teach you. The Spirit, go to the Word, of course. Don't say, well, I'm just going to automatically, just by osmosis going to a Christian university, I'll get it. No, no. Get the Word. Study the Word. By the time you're moving out to where God has you moving, you, you'll have enough. He will bring to remembrance what you've put inside And we as a congregation on this campus want to help you. We want to train you. We want to equip you. We want you to be the new pioneers of the third millennium. God has called you. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Take this little card that's being handed to you. You keep it. The second line. Just circle the second line. You circle that second line. Put the date on there. And you write at the top, Defender of the Faith. And put that in your Bible. Wherever you're going this summer, you put that in your Bible. You carry it with you. I have been called. And I accepted the call to become a defender of the faith. I'm proud of you. Jesus is proud of you. You're a follower of Christ. That's what He came for. To testify to the truth. We need you. We need you bad. And we need you now. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Holy Father, I pray for these men and women I pray that you will take this decision they've made.
never let them leave the commitment they now make. Both the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Romans 11.29 Oh God, please, that man, that woman, for such a time as this, they're here. They're saying to you, use me any way you wish, oh God. You can give me the courage. You can give me the content. And I shall be what you want me to be. Father, seal this moment. In the days that may not always be bright that are ahead. In the dark days that yet remain for this civilization, O oh God, like a shining light, let Him stand where You place Him. Let her shine where You direct her. And with this new generation, God, repair the breach. Restore the foundation. Rebuild the wall. That there might be a people from every nation, kindred, and tribe on earth that shall stand for Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of salvation. Though the heavens fall, they shall stand. O oh Lord, never let this decision be forgotten again. And I must, I must say to the rest of us, Surely there's something in our hearts that wants to join whatever it can be. These. The advanced vanguard. And so if you're still sitting and you'd like to say, Jesus, I, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. I too wish to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. If you want to say that with these young, I wish you would stand to your feet as well. Oh, Father, for what it's worth, such as we are, here we are. Oh, God, Seal this moment in all of our hearts. For Jesus' sake, we go forth in His name, defenders of His faith, His day, and His way. In the name of Jesus, let all the congregation say, Amen and Amen.